a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Deus Ex Media. Welcome to the restricted section in which I am breaking up with Harry Potter and it's the most desperate breakup I've ever been through, including when I left Ryan and I had no place to live. So I agreed to move into my friend James's house into what they called the flea room. Rent free. No. Thank you very much. We've all been uh. through it. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry. We did it for you. Here's what we're talking about this week. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, chapter 27. The lightning struck tower in which Snape kills Dumbledore. I'm your host, Christina. My co-host today is Leela. Say hello to the listeners, Leela. Hello, listeners. Uh, Tina, so your brother's name is Ryan and you dated a guy named Ryan? Yeah, I'm not proud of it. Okay. (laughs) That must have been weird. My dad's name is Steven and I also dated a Steven. Oof. It's tough with, you know, the the limited uh, acceptable male names that there totally. are. Totally. And then my other brother's name is Michael. And that leads me to introduce our special guest today, <laughs> Radio Mike from Harry Potter and the Boys and 21st Century Boys. Say hello to the listeners. So good to be back. Thank you so much. My partner has a brother called Mike as well. No. So, and the she's mics dating are Mike. really hard. The mics are so hard to escape. <laughs> There's too many Michaels. I'll, I'll tell you who's not hard to escape. The Lachlans, which if you are a fan <laughs> of Christina's other podcast, Burn Before Reading, you will know. It's so funny because in our in our lives, we recorded together like a month ago, but in restricted section timeline, it's been like a year or something. Yes, yes. Because the last, <laughs> I can't remember the one I did in Order of the Phoenix. Did I do an Order of the Phoenix chapter? probably I'm looking it up right now. I think I did. I know I did the but, death but it's hard because for there's Goblet so of Fire. Oh. Yeah, you did Snape's worst memory. Yes, yes. Love oh. that. Love that chapter. Yeah, that was a really good one. So yeah, um, Mike was on Burn Before Reading, me and Leela's other podcast a couple weeks ago to start the new year off. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, please go listen to it because it's so good. We did the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Boys and... Yeah, there's a big to-do about the name Lachlan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing I'll I'll say is we're currently listening to the audio book of Order of the Phoenix. And then I sort of, obviously for this podcast, I just skipped forward to listen to the end of Half-Blood Prince. And I was just getting really confused. right? Yeah. Because... (laughs) The chapter we're up to in Order of the Phoenix is the one where they leave the ministry after the big fight with Voldemort. And Oh, Harry- my God. The climax of that book and this book could not be more different. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, yeah, looking forward to talking about this chapter. Hell, yeah. So this is your first time coming on for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Where does this book fall in your ranking of the books? Like, is it one of your favorites Ooh. or one of your lesser favorites? God, okay, that's putting me on the spot a bit. I I really like Half-Blood Prince. I think a lot of it gets lost in the movie, and I often remember the movies mm. more than the books, but mm-hmm. I really like a lot of the um 
you know, the, the stuff I always really like was the Snape backstory. I think yeah. you know, a lot of us think Snape is one of the most complex characters in the series. And I like all the stuff about his parents, which, you know, you don't really get in the movie. In fact, in the movie, I always found the um, reveal that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince just so lackluster because there's no explanation as to why that's the name he chose. Yeah, in he's the like movie. just like Voldemort. He's yeah. like cool nickname I just came up with for myself. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> hey man, it's kind of not cool to make a nickname for yourself. Actually, that's yeah. it. And no like, one calls him that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think in the movie it pays off so much. You get a lot more about Snape and his backstory. Um, and yeah, I think it's I think it's up there. I, I'm I mean we're just finishing Order of the Phoenix now, so we're about to get back onto Half Blood Prince, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hell yeah! For me, it's just like after how dark and serious Order of the Phoenix is, like I really think that Half Blood Prince like picks up the pace a little bit and is like just like you got kissing, you got cursing, like you got all the, like, it's just like exciting. There's exciting stuff going on. Yeah. And today's chapter is perhaps the most exciting thing that happens in this entire book, unfortunately. Should I, should we talk about it now? What? The fact that Dumbledore dies in this chapter, or should we wait until the end and then talk about it? Let's well, wait until the end, I guess. Okay. But one thing I actually wanted to ask both of you is, yeah. do you remember when this book like came out when you were, a kid, presumably. Yeah, yeah, I, do. I, I kind of do. I at least remember the feelings I had. Do you remember, like, I mean, we will get to it, but obviously, spoiler alert, Snape kills Dumbledore was such <gasps> a big, big, I guess, revelation of this book. And that was such a big pop culture moment at the time. Everybody I know was talking about how yeah. Snape killed Dumbledore. And I just think, yeah. I do think that that moment, and again, we'll get to it, is probably one of the most iconic moments in Harry Potter history um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a good chapter. Other than like the first sentence of the first book, I might argue that this is like the most legendary chapter. Yeah. Like yeah. it is, yeah. it is everything. And like Snape's character, as you mentioned, is like so incredibly complex. Listeners might remember last night we had a last episode we had a real Snape wife on the show, my dear friend <laughs> Becca. It's true that Snape is such an incredibly complex and like extremely interesting character. And a lot of rereading Harry Potter is being like, I'm kind of more mature than this now. Like these books mm -hmm. are like kind of now that I'm looking at them way too closely, like it's kind of not doing as much as I felt when I read them when I was 10. Mm. But like Snape as a character is like truly like a masterpiece of a character. Like I, I think he's incredible in this moment in his character story is everything. Yeah. And the ambiguity and we will get to it, but I, I want to flag up top the ambiguity of Dumbledore saying Severus, God. please. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. Uh. When this um, book came out, um, my husband, Jason, <laughs> was, I guess, at the Barnes and Noble to buy it. And a girl drove by in her <gasps> car and screamed out the window, Snape killed Dumbledore. Wait, that. Ha okay. So, yeah. Hila, I I think you've told this story before, and he said that wasn't me. <laughs> oh, 
I, I think the last like time you, you brought told, it up. No, I think you've told that story on this podcast before, and Jason said later that wasn't me. <laughs> Where did I get this memory then? I don't know. So I, it definitely might have happened to Jason. Um, listeners, if you're listening, and we, uh, uh, specifically patrons. If you're listening and we haven't brought this up in the patron yet, page, oh my God, in the Discord yet, tag Jason, ask him if this happened to him. But I definitely heard about this happening out in the world where people would go to the launches of where people were like waiting in line for this book and be like, Snape killed Dumbledore. That's so fucked which is up. A, Why? A, psycho, a psychopathic thing to do. Yeah, that's so mean. Yeah, I actually remember that as well. I, I remember a guy in my class in grade four called Elliot who basically just told everyone Snape kills Dumbledore. Um, before what the like, fuck he, is he, wrong with he, a person he, like basically that? Basically like every, everyone in class was reading this book and Elliot was like one of the smart kids, I guess, who was Ugh. miles ahead of everyone else. He's like, oh, Snape kills Dumbledore. Everyone was like, what? What the f- I would kill a person <laughs> over that. Like, I would do murder. I think that they, <laughs> they people did it for, like, two reasons. I think that people who maybe didn't have a lot of opportunities to fe- to lord things over other people could get this knowledge They're before like, other people They're like, but I really fast. <laughs> or no. I mean, who kn- people could have not read it and found out probably, right? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know. They, they could have, but I think only if they knew someone who had read it because yeah. the, the internet was not the same back then. Yeah. True. And but I do remember even when, when Deathly Hallows, the book came out, so many people who like didn't really care just sort of got it flipped to the last page and saw and read the epilogue and just like told everyone like Harry survives and stuff. And well, that's, Oh my God. I, Why I, would you do that? I remember opening the book and like, just out of childlike curiosity, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the last chapter's called. No, and I just, I remember, <laughs> I remember opening to the page that just says 19 years later. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I was just so excited to get to it. But yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad it helped you. I yeah. guess in theory, in theory, Harry could have died in 19 years later. It's like Ron, Hermione, Ron the grave. and Ginny being like, oh, we really yeah. miss him. Yeah. And, and Fred, Harry and Fred buried next oh to each God. other. And then they all turn to and look at their kids and they're like, and they're like, but daddy. Yeah. Well, where? who is this Harry Potter? And was he really the boy who, the boy who died? And then they're like, no, Harry, Harry Potter, Harry, last name. It, what? I don't know. I got lost. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is this joke? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I know. I thought you were going to make a joke about like, wait, this is the boy who lived, but he's it dead. It was. <laughs> but then I, tr- I think I tried to squeeze an extra layer on the boy top who of died. The boy, the boy who, who definitely died. died. It's not the boy who died. Okay. It was the boy. <laughs> It was my friend and he lived. Let's go through this chapter. Yeah. And then like, I, I do want to take breaks to talk about like our memory of reading this for the first time and like the impact of this on the greater narrative because yeah. shit's impactful. Yeah. So the last chapter was called the cave in which Harry and Dumbledore went into apparated away from Hogwarts to somewhere balmy they went into a cave. They 
got, they retrieved a locket that is ostensibly a horcrux. Doing so, Dumbledore had to drink this potion that gave him, like, baby brain, kind of. It made him in, like, incredible, like, pain or, like, some kind of agony. And it gave him... It's like when your friend is, like, so drunk. It is, actually, yeah. They're like, water, please. Can I please have some water? (laughs) And you're like, please don't barf in this Uber. (laughs) Uh, And then Harry had to get them out. He didn't. Dumbledore still had to do everything. Because Dumbledore told Harry... Use fire when the inferi attacked. Use fire, use fire. Harry did not use fire. He panicked. And so Dumbledore <laughs> has been doing everything. God. Harry hoists, in this chapter, hoists them up to a boulder outside the cave and apparates them back to Hogsmeade. It's the first time he's ever, like, directed an apparition himself. And I think that he does it very well because it's, like, so fucking important. You can't fuck up, so he doesn't fuck up. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, and, it's, and also, it's right for the chosen one. Yeah, and also probably Dumbledore helped it to, <laughs> in some way. You know what I mean? Sure. I think one of the most, I guess, heart-wrenching things that we know, having read the book before, is like mm-hmm. there's this moment at the start when Harry's like excitedly saying to Dumbledore, we got the Horcrux, we got the Horcrux, and then we know now that it's fake. So basically at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it was all for nothing, and that always – that always sucks about Dumbledore's death is that it was literally all for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. It feels, it feels so fucked. That's right. And like the whole, the whole next book feels fucked too. Like the stakes are so high right now. Yeah. Do you guys think the Horcrux thing, like obviously the diary was introduced in Chamber of Secrets, but it was not, labeled a horcrux at that point until this book do you think yeah. the horcrux journey comes a little bit out of nowhere i did feel that way when i read it because i was just like i feel like i had to keep flipping back to like understanding what they were because i was like i just it's never even not one time that word been said and exactly i feel like, like I she's thought, grasping yeah for, for <laughs> well. how often she kind of leaves little seedlings throughout the book it I just always thought it was interesting that Horcrux was never mentioned even in passing in the series before this. Right. So she wrote this over the series over the course of like many years, like a decade or more, maybe. Yeah. I like the concept of Horcruxes. Now, do I think they explain it good enough in this book series? No, because like, what if you do murder for self-defense? Like do all murders make Horcruxes? Like, what are we doing here? What I think is that books one through four are too, that's too many books to be the intro to what your series is about. You know what I mean? Yes. So the Horcruxes to me are conceptually cool, but like you said, Mike, like the pacing of how they're introduced is not good. And if I was an editor, I would be like, okay, Joanne, (laughs) let's take a look. Let's take a really good look at books one, three and four and see if we can find any other way to like draw a connection to like a Horcrux. Mm. Since we're doing this in book six, seven, let's see if we can connect it back in any way other than just this, like one random diary. You know what I mean? And even like some of them, I always find like the diadem, like, you know, the diadem to me is the worst one because it's like 
this lost diadem of Ravenclaw that he made a Horcrux and like no one's been able to find it for centuries or, or whatever it is. And then Harry right. just finds it that night, right. the night he starts looking for it. Like I always found I that. I totally agree. Yeah. A lot of them I just thought were a little bit too convenient to suddenly start popping up. What I think would have been really cool is if when we are introduced to the character Luna Lovegood in book five, and by the way, she's done nothing in this book series, in this in this book. So mm. it's like almost like it wasn't even worth introducing her. What if Luna, who is a Ravenclaw and other Ravenclaw characters are like, yeah, we have this weird hat in the common room. And when we're having a hard time thinking of the answer to some homework problem, we put it on. We don't know what it is really. And then like, it turns out that like the legendary hat that he needs has like been under his nose all this time. And like people yeah. have been talking to him about it. Like why having it lost. And then like you said, like he figures out how to find it. It's like, yeah. really dude, he's never been good at anything before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like lucky in high stakes scenarios. And you know, he mm. like protagonist prota and he thinks well on his feet, but like in terms of Sometimes. just like being a detective and yeah. Investigating things that doesn't make sense. I actually I know this is only semi-related, but the other thing that I thought was so stupid in Deathly Hallows is when Ron is able to open the Chamber of Secrets. Oh my god, because, like, it's so not, stupid. Like, Parcel tongue isn't <laughs> positioned as a language you can learn, like French no, or yeah. Japanese. It's it's, it's, it's an framed as like a biological imp yeah, it's yes. so strange. Which because that's not how language works at no. all. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I just, um, I, uh, yeah, it's Horcrux always feels a, like I love the concept, but it always feels just a little bit off to me. Totally. Like I really, it's, it's easy for me as someone who works with authors, like it's easy for me to see like her journey. She is like in the first couple of books, she's like setting the scene, like having a fun time, a cute little adventure. And now people are invested in this big mm. bad that you keep talking about. You have to do something with this. Yeah. And so she in book four and five, she's like, I'm serious. The big bad is here and he's fucking serious about it. And then in book six and seven, you're like, how the fuck do I wrap this up? <laughs> and like, I'm not yeah. saying that she did a good job. I'm not really saying she did a bad job either. I'm saying it's like a hard position to be in. Mm hmm. The other one is like, you mentioned Luna Lovegood. She's another character that does not, is not mentioned from memory before she's introduced. Whereas like, do you know right. what I mean? Like there, there are so many characters that were there from the start who are mentioned from the start, but Luna just feels like she needed a character for that book. Like it does feel like from Order of the Phoenix, she maybe didn't have like have the whole thing planned out and suddenly needed to start totally. introducing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Luna Lovegood to me feels like such a, a and she's a great character. Like this is nothing against her <laughs> as a person. Mm. She's a great person, but like yeah. she's a throwaway character, throw her away. Books series is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. They did the same thing with Cedric too. You know, like they created this character literally had I mean I think they maybe mentioned his name or like mm. it's something in passing in a previous book but like he really wasn't in he didn't have anything to do until yeah. book four yeah. and then it was just so that he, Harry could have some trauma like we need mm. to con him to connect to this character so we need to yeah. explain him so we can kill him mm. I don't know it's very clear it is a classic like too many characters situation which 
almost all novice authors, especially of like children's fiction, especially of fantasy, almost all of them have too many characters almost all of the time. That's just a mm. rule. Condense your characters and give a couple characters a lot more meaningful stuff to do. So I, I think it, I mean, it kind of makes sense because like that's kind of how school is, is it's like you have your main characters, you as a school, as a student, you, you have your main characters in your story and then you have your side characters and then you have the characters that you don't even know who they are. They're just in the, they're just extras in the background. Mm. <laughs> we operate to Hogsmeade, guys. We haven't gotten that far, but we're going to oh fucking God. do it. <laughs> Dumbledore. Dumbledore literally, I mean, imagine how fucked up Dumbledore has to be to be like, Harry, I might not be able to, <laughs> to walk up to the castle. Like, I'm not doing good right now. I, I think this is a really important part as well, because it's the first time in the series, really, that you see Dumbledore weak and vulnerable. You know, like, we're used to seeing him as this sort of wise old man, but now you see Larger him Larger than as, life. Yeah, but this is the first time you realize, like, he's he's a weak old man in this moment. Yeah. To some extent, it feels like she's trying, the author is trying to, like, prepare you, the reader. Mm. She's, she's mm. like, he is not doing well. But at the same time, even though we've never seen Dumbledore vulnerable, what we have seen is Dumbledore always one step ahead of everyone. Yeah. And ultimately mm -hmm. it turns out that in this moment, he is also one step ahead of everyone. But for the next yeah. book until the finale of the next book, it doesn't feel that way. No, this death feels like such a sudden and mm. brutal, like robbery. Like yeah. It, yeah. it hits really hard. So showing him, a, showing a little bit of his vulnerability. I feel like, the, uh, you as the reader are like, well, I was really worried about him in the last chapter and he made it out. I've been really worried about him before and he's always been on top of it. Like, I'm sure that this is just like making me stress before the grand, amazing, happy finale of the book. Yeah. I mean, when I read it as a kid, it was very like it was really scary because uh, we had really not like you said, never seen him vulnerable before. And as a mm -hmm. kid. It's like when you're reading a stressful book series, or at least when I was reading a stressful book series, um, during the stressful parts, I'm still kind of like, I can reassure myself. I don't have to be scared because Dumbledore's there. He yes. always he always pulls us out of trouble. Like, yes. he's the best wizard of all time. Like, he's got this. Like, he's like the, the best dad ever. Like, he's got this. And then, you know, to see him yeah. weakened and, and like a just like the rest of them is, is just like, even that was really scary to read as a little kid. Do you guys think at what point in this chapter, I guess, or this, uh, like, does Dumbledore know that tonight is the night he's going to die before they go to the cave? Do you think, or does he decide in that moment when they get back to Hogsmeade that it will probably be the night? Like, what do you think? This is a great question. And I would like to start answering by laying out the evidence. Yeah. Okay. So during this chapter, when they land, Dumbledore is like, go get Severus. I need Severus. Mm. And like, to me, that only enhances the question. Is Dumbledore like, go get Severus because I need him to like fucking do this thing before Draco can get to me? Yes. Or is he like, I need Severus because I'm genuinely trying to recover right now? Mm. But, but. You know, Harry does suggest Madame Pomfrey and he goes, no, yeah. get Severus, which that to me is him going, 
okay, I can tell some shit's going down. This is when Draco's going to try it and I need to get, I need Severus to get there first. I still think there's an argument for him not wanting to like tell Madame Pomfrey like where he'd been or like what had happened to him because she mm. might not be part of like the in group the of order. the order yeah. the way that S- Snape is. So he might be like, go get Severus because I'm not trying to tell. Because like, for example, like Madame Pomfrey isn't making like Lupin's like werewolf potions for him. And like, sure. Part of that is that he, that fucking Snape makes potions, but, but I'm sure part of it is also like, then we would have to tell Madame Pomfrey that Lupin was a werewolf, you know? Hmm. Yeah. If Dumbledore knew exactly how this was going to play out, like we're going to get back from this and then I'm going to die right in front of Harry's eyes. I, I like, I like to think that Dumbledore like wouldn't put Harry in this position. Like I like to think that if Dumbledore knows he's going to die, he would try to not do it in front of Harry or other other kids, <laughs> probably, maybe. Do you yeah. think that he needed uh, he needed someone on his side to see Snape kill him because he needed that person yeah. to tell everyone that Snape killed him so that Voldemort Ooh, would believe yeah. that Snape was on his side? But then... Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's Damn. a lot there's a lot of like potentials here. Yeah. I guess for me my conclusion is I don't think Dumbledore expected that tonight would be the night that he would die, but he did know that that night was coming. So why do you think he didn't know it would be tonight? I think because there's a scramble to get Snape. Like yes. Snape yep. isn't ready for it. It's like go and get Snape, you need to get him. Um and and I'm not yeah. sure if at what point they see the dark mark over the over Hogwarts. It's I, when they're when they're in Hogsmeade and they're talking to Rose Murta and Rosemurta's Rose like, "Hello, are you? Yeah. Do you see?" And they're like, "Oh fuck!" So then they get yes. the broomsticks and fly. And I think that moment when he sees the dark mark is the moment where he's like, "Oh shit! Okay, it's tonight. We need to get Snape." I think that's as good a as good a theory as any. What do you think, Leela? I mean, like, as the first time I read it, it was more like it like as as untrustworthy as Snape is, as much as he's like involved with everything, like you're still like Dumbledore trusts him. Like, so there's like this little fleck that's like, well, he's he's the potions guy. So, like, honestly, maybe he just like has Dumbledore knows exactly what he needs and Mm. he doesn't want to bother Rosemary. Well, not Rosemary. He he doesn't want (laughs) to bother. Yeah, he doesn't want to bother Madame. So. Yeah. He's just like Snapey, my BF, my bestie. <laughs> Come over here and give Papa the potion I, that he needs. There and also, an in this, for the reader, the moment where Snape kills Dumbledore is the moment where, as a reader, you're like, "Oh, okay, Dumbledore was wrong," and and then Dumbledore was wrong. Yes, mm, and then book scary. seven. In book seven, there's a lot of stuff for the first time in the series about like the wider life of Dumbledore and how oh yes. maybe he wasn't mm-hmm. such a great guy and even Harry starts getting Maybe frustrated. he killed his sister. Yeah. And I guess then the resolution when we see Snape's wor- uh not Snape's worst memory, the prince's tale, the confession mm-hmm. is yeah. that okay, no, Dumbledore was right. It was all planned and you know, he It was more planned than you could ever have dreamed as the yeah. reader right now, you know? Because the thing right now is his fucking curse, the curse on his arm. Mm. And this whole book he's been like, I'll explain it. Like 
he hasn't been explain he we don't know what it is but he's been really acting like it's no big deal so i don't think any of us are like is that killing him mm. <laughs> like he's just like i'll explain it i'll explain it and then it's like oh my god he died before he could explain what happened to his <laughs> hand <is> so frustrating <laughs> but like also so classic like that bitch never explains anything <laughs> until until it's way too late he, li- he literally comes down <laughs> from heaven and is like let me explain myself <laughs> oh my god i fucking hate that chapter i really think that as an adult reader of harry potter this is what's up. Like this nuance of Snape's character and trying to pick apart all these small details to figure out what exactly is planned, what exactly is just happening. Like, I think this is fucking fascinating. I think killing our like elderly wizard hero is the only thing that can be done in a narrative Mm. at this point. Like you have to give the hero a reason to figure it out on his own. And at the beginning of the last chapter, the cave, Harry says, I'm not, uh, Dumbledore's like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And Harry says, I'm not worried, I'm with you. Or maybe he thinks it. And then at the end of the chapter, when Dumbledore is so fucked up, Harry's like, Dumbledore, don't worry. And Dumbledore says, I'm not worried, Harry, I'm with you. Mm. And I really Aww. think that it's like all these little ways that the author was trying to be like, hey, my sweet, precious 15-year-old reader, like, Some big shift is happening right now, even Mm. though we're like we're in the cave doing this one thing. But what we're actually doing is like another thing. Narratively, we're doing a different thing, which is like a passing of the torch. Yeah. Can I go on to a um, moving from this from a serious topic just to one thing I I find funny (laughs) in this chapter? Please do. So that, you know, and this naturally goes to where we're up to. They right, Madame Rosmurda comes out and, you know, they're like, you can take my brooms to the school. And mm-hmm. then Harry, I just find this funny. Harry goes, Accio Rosmurda's brooms. Which I just think it's like, could you just do that for literally anything? Like, and get really someone funny. stuff? Like, yeah. Like, how does that magic work? Again, it's never explained, I, but yeah. I also thought it was funny because it was like, um, like Rosemurda was like literally just about to walk back into her shop <laughs> right there and get yeah. them. But, yeah. and then he's like, no Harry will get, and then he goes, Harry will, Harry will do it. And then Harry just stands in, in the same place where he is and goes, Akio, Akio Rosemurda's brooms. And then they crash through her shop. <laughs> yeah. And mess things up. Then they, they, knock the door down it's fine she's imperious <laughs> and and um and it's just like very funny it's like such a teenager move yeah <laughs> it's like so lazy it kind of reminds me when you're you were a kid and you would go to your parents houses and be like oh hey Leela's mom lol <laughs> <laughs> and, and then i couldn't figure out was so was dumbledore flying on his own broom or was hmm. harry brooming him around I can't remember. I don't but know. The idea of Dumbledore just flying a broom in this moment is so funny to me as well. It is. I think it's implied though that he does because it's yeah. like okay. he looked to Dumbledore and he looked like so determined and his mm. hair was flying behind his broom. Oh, yeah, I feel like it yeah. says. And, and I it guess he accioed multiple brooms, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you know how we said that Dumbledore has been acting like your drunk friend. He started out like silly drunk. Now he's 
deathly serious, serious drunk. Need, need yeah. to get to bed drunk. And like, you know how when you your friend is so drunk and you like park them in an armchair and they manage to like slither off the armchair. <laughs> like imagine trying to keep your drunk friend on a broom on a stick. Like just That's on crazy. a stick. <laughs> well, he's not drunk, Christina. He drank poison. It's different. It's similar. <laughs> no. No, yeah, it is similar. So- as they were flying into Hogwarts on their brooms, Dumbledore's muttering spells to undo the enchantments protecting the castle. The logic being like dark, the dark marks coming from inside the castle. Like the what the enchantments didn't work. And I just like I just think these moments for Dumbledore are so cool. Like how, how when you get to see how intimately he is connected with the school that he cares for, like is he a good headmaster? No. But is he deeply entrenched in, like, this school personally? Yes. And it's very cool the way that he, like, has his own spells, like, protecting the castle. I'm also thinking about when, um, in the next book, when, like, oh, no, in the last book, when Professor Umbridge names herself headmistress and the Mm. office, like, won't let her in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, he's really, like, a part of this place. (sighs) Totally right that he'll die here. I love they they obviously land and he Mm -hmm. sends Harry to go get Professor Snape, and then of course Malfoy comes in. And using your drunk analogy, I feel like (laughs) at at this point he's at pretend you're not drunk. So (laughs) which is when he's like, he's like, "Good evening, Draco." (laughs) (laughs) He like. Conveniently props himself against like a pillar or something. (laughs) Oh, hey, Draco. Hey, how are (laughs) you? As I mentioned, I think before we started recording, my husband doesn't really drink. So it does remind me of when I come home like really lit (laughs) and Sean's just been on the couch vibing for five hours. And I'm like, hello, husband. How has your evening been? Totally normal (laughs) thing for me to say. But I, I just love, yeah, the suaveness of him. Like, oh, good evening, Draco. This is weird. Good evening, Draco. This oh my a, god. This is a totally normal thing, you and me being here. What's <laughs> what's up, man? How's your homework? How's your homework? <laughs> Draco comes through the door shouting Expelliarmus, and at the same time, Harry Potter gets Petrificus Totalis. And for a second, we're like, what? What just happened? And then yeah. Harry Harry figures out that Dumbledore, in the split second where he could protect himself from Draco disarming him, he chose to uh, freeze Harry, Harry yeah. under his invisibility cloak. And so as this chapter is playing down, Harry's for the rest of the chapter, Harry's almost a non-entity. There's maybe two or three lines where it's like, and there Harry stood totally unable to do anything and it's like ah just just where i want my hero in the climax of a story <laughs> but this Horrible. is again where i think cuz harry hadn't yet gone to get snape right no he was like running out to yeah so then i guess like this to me shows that like was dumbledore doing it to keep harry safe and invisible which i guess you could argue yes but was he doing it because he wanted Harry to see what was going to happen? Oh, you're both. Yeah, like there's so many potential. I think I think you could explain this anyway because Harry, in a pressing 
stressful situation. Dumbledore has just learned this. Harry is not good. He's not good <laughs> under pressure. Has he had mm. his moments? Sure. But Dumbledore told him to use fire. And when it came down to it, Harry said, what do I do? I guess I'll wait for my dying headmaster to figure out what to do. Mm. So like, I think Dumbledore and maybe Dumbledore has been reading Harry's mind and, and Harry's clearly in love slash hates Draco Malfoy. So Malfoy com comes in and Dumbledore is like, like maybe if Dumbledore had been able to get to Snape first before Draco got up there, maybe we would have, he would have lived beyond this night, but Draco mm. comes at him. Dumbledore knows, Oh, the thing that I've been waiting this whole year for it to happen. It happened today while I was gone. That kind of sucks. That's bad timing. Yeah. He's like, I cannot have Harry barging in on this <laughs> fucking altercation. Yeah. He's not going to make it better. No. Because Harry definitely would try something with Malfoy. He'd yes, come back of up. Course. Yeah. yeah, I never thought about that. Definitely. Well, it mentions like how he's like seething and like wants so bad to break free. and But he just can't. That's very, and that's super traumatizing. I guess Dumbledore is mm. like, but it's for the greater good. Greater good. You know, we'll get into greater that a lot good. more in the next book. Yeah. Um. So one thing about me is, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I think it was in the same context. So sorry if I'm repeating myself. We have like 300 episodes now. <laughs> but I have sleep paralysis. I get sleep paralysis, which is like the worst feeling on earth. And I had it last night. So that's why it's like fresh in oh, the memory. No. It's the worst feeling on earth. It's when you're in between when you're like in the process of waking up from a deep REM sleep and your brain wakes up faster than your body does. So when you are in REM sleep, your body's paralyzed because otherwise, if you're like dreaming about like fighting a T-Rex, you're like going to be doing that IRL. So like <laughs> REM sleep literally paralyzes you so you don't act out your dreams. And mm. when you wake up too fast, your brain is lucid and your body is paralyzed and it's the worst feeling on earth. And every any time Petrificus Totalis comes up, I get like extremely triggered by it because it just sounds like the worst thing in the entire mm. world to be like completely unable to move your body, especially in a moment such as this. A hundred percent. And under the invisibility cloak, like I know he's not thinking about it at this moment. Oh, but at the beginning of this book, he gets hit with Petrificus Totalis when he is caught uh, eavesdropping on Draco on the train, and then the invisibility cloak oh, thrown yeah. over him. And it's like, I'm going to fucking die here. And doesn't Malfoy step on his face as well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which would be even worse. Like Horrible. your nose is broken and bleeding out. <laughs> you know how when you get hit in the nose and your instinct is to like put your hands on it and be like, oh, oh, and you're like kind of like cringing over and like imagine uh, just having to take it completely. No, <laughs> that's crazy. Or yeah. and then like he just wrote, walked into the great hall like well I'm ready for supper and he was just like profusely <laughs> bleeding from his face and everyone's like what the fuck happened what to you? Happened to you? <laughs> I okay. think with Malfoy here though, you mm -hmm. can definitely feel his confliction. This is to I me know, and, and maybe the the reason this is such just such an iconic chapter is just you know. You've got three key characters that aren't Harry, being Dumbledore, Snape, and Malfoy, that yeah. all have these really iconic shining moments. And I do want to do a shout out to Tom Felton because I think he really oh God, he, yeah. he gives such a good performance in the movie adaptation to the point where, like, 
when I was just rereading this for the, for today, like I I almost think this is one of the rare moments where the movie is is stronger than the book because like Tom Felton nails the complete feeling of fear, confliction, but like false bravado that Tom that Malfoy has to have in this moment. Um, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. I was actually thinking the same thing when the the line is like about how hard Draco's hand is shaking. And mm. I that that like flashed me right back to the movie because you get this shot of Tom Felton and his hand is like before like before his face in the shot and it's shaking so hard. And yeah, I totally agree. I think that I think that it this particular performance of Tom Felton in this scene is like absolutely legendary. I mean, all of them are Snape in this. I mean, yeah. it's brief and it's incredible, but it's the first time really that movie is the first time that Malfoy gets to properly sort of act. I think, or Tom felt, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's got a, a big role in the first two movies, I guess. And then in movies sort of three, four and five, he's kind of, Almost played for comic relief a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Oh my god, yeah, the ferret. <laughs> yeah, this is the <laughs> first one where he actually. There's also the scene of him in the bathroom, you oh know, my god. crumbling under pressure of what he's has, yeah. has to do, and he yeah. just nails it. He's such a good character. Mm. Again, yeah. like Snape, it's like, is he a good guy? No, no. <laughs> yeah, a good character. And, yes. And then I love the, again, going back to the suaveness of Dumbledore where, you know, he says, good evening, Draco, so polite. And then I think Malfoy says something along the lines of, you know, you you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm capable of. And Dumbledore just goes, yeah, I do. And then proceeds to tell him that he, like, everything that he's done in the book. He's like, yeah, I know you did this. It's pretty obvious. And then just skipping forward a little bit is the one when, Fenrir Greyback comes in and said, are you happy to see me, Dumbledore? And Dumbledore just goes, "Uh, no, I'm not actually. No, I'm not. You kill children. You hurt children. I'm not happy to see you. (laughs) Yeah. I think that I like, tell me what you think about this, but the same way that we were speculating about Dumbledore needs to show for the purpose of like this grand scheme, Dumbledore needs to show Harry in this scene that Snape is guilty. Like Snape Mm. is bad. I think like almost at the same time, Dumbledore in this exchange is trying to show Harry that Malfoy ultimately would not have killed him. I think we can kind of all agree that Malfoy like was leading up to not fucking being able to do it. Yeah. You know? Yes. So much fear. Yeah. He, he's, he's not, he does not have conviction for one (laughs) second, maybe when he's busting down the door, but I really think Dumbledore is trying to be like, Hey man, like this kid, this kid's just a kid. Like, I mm. don't know. And he, he's in a real pickle. Draco's like, he's going to fucking kill me if I don't kill you. And Dumbledore's like, I think that's, that's what he wants, man. Like, I think yeah. that's what he wants. Yeah. And he does say, we can hide you and your mom. We can protect you. Like, yeah. and, you're, and you're, and then he says, and your dad is perfectly safe in Azkaban. <laughs> <laughs> but also what I love is you get this, great moment between Dumbledore and Malfoy in which Dumbledore says that he trusts Snape and then Draco's yeah. like well you're stupid because he's double he's 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 a double it's actually, agent 
it's so funny because Draco says um, he's a double agent, you stupid old man or something mm, like yeah. that. And it's just really funny because like no matter what side Snape is on, he's definitely a double, double agent. agent. Like nobody doesn't think he's a double agent for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, I just think Draco's kind of, because the whole series up until this point, there has been this lingering thing of like, why does Dumbledore trust Snape? Like, why? Do, why? And then Draco's kind of saying what you, the reader, kind of feel. Yeah. And then, like, you're yeah, dumb. it's like you are wrong. You're you were wrong yeah. this whole time. And yeah. then when Snape comes in and does it, you're like, oh, okay, he, yeah, he was wrong. My friend Becca, who was on last week's episode, who was such a Snape stan, was recounting <laughs> the first time she ever read this book, and her, I think her exact words were, "Ooh." This is not going to look good for Snape. <laughs> it's like, I know. Yeah, it doesn't he murdered look great somebody. for him. Yeah. <laughs> can I ask, do you Please. think that this is another can of worms, but do you think that Snape expected to live through the war and have his name cleared? Or did he always <sighs> think he was going to die in the war? Like, I think if one, I one was, can hope. <laughs> yeah, if I was Snape, I would sort of do it knowing that I could clear my name and sort of yeah. have a redemption, I guess. But but at the same time, what kind of a life was he living? The only yeah. thing that ever mattered to him has been dead for fucking 15 years. Like, Yeah, it's not like he's he's going to, like, Harry survives, Snape survives. It's like, see, Harry, I was doing it all because I loved your mom. Now we can be mates. It's like, nah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) No, you bullied me so much. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, book Snape is just, like, is is even worse than movie Snape. Yeah, he's really disgust. Like, it's, like, I would say, like, not redeemable in any way. Well, that's the thing is, like, I'm all for, like, I totally know you have to make changes when you're adapting a book into a film. Yeah. But I I think that the stuff that they had to cut from the films, plus the fact that Alan Rickman was portraying Severus Snape, changed him, in my opinion, from an irredeemable character in the books to a redeemable character in the films. You know what I mean? Like, his most egregious behavior takes place in Goblet of Fire, and half that book had to be cut for the film. Mm. And so you don't get to see him at his absolute worst. And then he has the charisma of Alan Rickman, which is not <laughs> fair because Snape, Snape is not supposed to be a charismatic person. Mm. Mm. He's supposed to be like a creepy, drolly, ratty kind of oily, yeah. oily yeah. dude. <laughs> Just bad. Not No one's supposed to want to fuck him. And I would fuck <laughs> Alan Rickman, you know? Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. I mean, not now. <laughs> well, yeah, Layla. <laughs> That's in a props. Okay, yeah. Draco says, I have a job to do. And Dumbledore says, well, then you must get on and do it, my dear boy. Like, I think that Dumbledore, more than anything, is so sad right now for Draco in this moment. Just like, I think the reader, too, is like, we're all just really sad for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't say, not only did they say they would murder, did Voldy say he would murder Draco, but he said he would murder his whole family too. So mm. it's like, it's a lot to, it's a lot of weight to bear on Lil Blondie's shoulders, you know? Yeah, I think we, kids- we also okay. kind of forgot to talk about um, a crucial moment for the series here, uh-huh. which is that Malfoy disarms Dumbledore. 
Yes, which, you're totally right. We kind of skipped past that where you said Dumbledore could have defended himself, <laughs> but but I think that's so he, funny because I I asked if you wanted to come on for the Elder Wand episode of yeah. Deathly Hallows next season. Yeah. <laughs> so it's gonna come up again. <laughs> but yeah, like it's <laughs> it's I think Dumbledore knew what he was doing here. I think he wanted Malfoy to disarm him, um, yes. and that leads to I guess the confusion of. Voldemort thinking Snape is the master of the wand, you know, which is why yeah. he ends up killing Snape. Because from Draco and Snape's perspective, when you're going to tell Voldemort how this whole chapter plays down, plays out, you're you're going to be like, yeah, and then we showed up and then Snape killed Dumbledore. Mm. Because if Draco was there for fucking 10 minutes going back <laughs> and forth with Dumbledore, it's like, why didn't he kill him? You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think obviously that this moment of Malfoy disarming, because Malfoy kind of becomes the master of the Elder Wand because of that, doesn't he? It's, and then which is bananas, which is stupid. And then Harry yeah, ends up <laughs> claiming it when he snatches Malfoy's wand. I think in the next book or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, crucial moment there as well. That right. So then Voldemort thinks that Snape did it, which is why he ultimately kills him. So mm. as to have the uh, like allegiance, the loyalty of the wand. Yeah. And you've got to wonder if Dumbledore was like, okay, so I'll get, I'll make sure Malfoy disarms me. So he takes the loyalty of the elder wand, oh but then God. I'll make sure Snape kills me. So he's the actual master. And then Voldemort won't kill Malfoy because he won't know that he's the true master. Wow. I, I mean, know. Dumbledore do be scheming. Like, whatever yeah. else you have to say about his character, he's scheming as fuck, and he yeah. is one step ahead of everyone. Like, I wouldn't put anything past him. Mm. I wouldn't put it past him to have every single fucking second of this played, like, exactly planned out, and then, like, the only surprise is that Draco got there before Snape could. Mm. Uh, because he's... Because what the fuck is he doing all the time that he's Who? so busy? Dumby. Oh, he's been like doing Horcrux research. Okay, so this, yeah, yeah, yeah this. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like that's. I think that's like that's what he has going on right now. Yeah. So the Dumbledore and Malfoy are going back and forth a bit, and here's how you know Malfoy's not going to take action because he in enters into a villain monologue. You sly dog. You got me monologuing. And you just don't do <laughs> yeah. that if you're going to win in the end. You yeah, know what no. I mean? <laughs> He's like, well, I all year you didn't know what I was doing, but I did it. <laughs> and and Harry is sitting there immobile being like, I fucking knew it. I fucking mm. knew it, you bitch. <laughs> I knew you were up to something. I think like his comfort mood or like comfort uh, reaction is like, prideful or like sneery you know he's like that's he's he's Draco Malfoy so like I think like it's comfortable for him to want to brag and he's like I'm yeah. so glad you brought it up bitch because I'm so smart <laughs> and I'm so sneaky and let me tell you about how I did it like yeah he Malfoy is, is explaining to us about the vanishing cabinet yes and then Dr Dumbledore's like, I know, I told Snape to keep an eye on you. And Malfoy keeps trying to be like, bet you didn't know about this. And I, I almost killed you. Uh, he reveals that Rose Myrta has been under the Imperious curse working for him. That's how we mm. got Katie that poisoned mead. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, and Dumbledore does give him some credit where he's like, oh, but, you know, the one thing I can't figure out is how you were getting people into the building because I thought that was impossible. And Malfoy's like, yeah, well, I, well, yeah, I beat you. I used the vanishing cabinet, you idiot. Like Malfoy really like rubs it in. See, I am smarter than you, idiot old man. Mike, I have to tell you something. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm a listener of Harry Potter and the Boys. I think yeah. it's a very fun. I think it's a fun, funny podcast. Um, Thank you. And after, after listening to it all this time, the word idiotis has finally entered my <laughs> everyday, my everyday vocabulary. An, an idiotis, yeah, that's an, a magical idiot. I believe is the is the definition. <laughs> so I'd be out here in the real world calling people idiotis. <laughs> and wasn't it like? Neville, it was like, oh, people speculated Neville was an idiotist or something. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but it goes back and forth because Malfoy is like, well, I knew this. But then it's like Dumbledore still, when Dumbledore's like, well, I can't figure out how you, and then he's like, ah, Rose Murta. So it's like Mm. he even is like being a brilliant, unkillable genius right in front of us. Yeah. And also Malfoy says that he uses the, magical coins for communication. Oh yeah. Which uh, Dumbledore goes, oh, that's what Dumbledore's army did. Now this is definitely, uh, probably I'm the only person that reads it this way. But to me, the heart wrenching thing about this is like, see Malfoy, like you're, you know, you're just as talented as your peers. You could have been (laughs) in Dumbledore's army as well. Like to me, part of it is like, you know, Malfoy's like, oh, those guys have some good ideas. Like there's maybe a part of Malfoy that's like, I wish I wasn't this person and I could just be friends with those guys. I I think mm. that like for the past five years, Malfoy has not felt that way. But I think like seeing him crying in the bathroom in the in the Sectum Sempera chapter, I think that like really signifies that he is like, this is hard. This is actually like not what I would have chosen for myself. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. The other interesting thing about the coins is that when Hermione makes the coins in Order of the Phoenix, she says, I stole this idea from the Death Eaters. Because when one of them, when Voldemort presses one of their dark marks, they get summoned. Yeah. I think that's what she says. Yes, she does. She does. So it's like a very interesting circle there. Yeah, that is interesting. I never thought of that. I think that it's just... It's nice. Like it's a very good. It's a it's a moment that makes us just like really really just remember why we respect Dumbledore so much when know. he is being so charming and um patient and kind. He's being a mm. teacher right now. To yeah, Malfoy, but the but the second that he uses he says mud he refers to Hermione as a mud blood like he kind of snap. He 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 very calmly snaps. He's just like, mm. okay. Don't say that word. Here's how I feel. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, he refers to he he refers to the word mudblood and Dumbledore is like, don't use that word in front of me. And Malfoy is like, even as you're dying, this is what you care about. And Mm. Dumbledore is like, yeah, I think this is like performative allyship. Oh, wow. I think if Dumbledore actually cared about that, Draco would have had a lot of detentions for using like racist language before now. Yeah. Damn, you're right. Like put your money where your mouth is. Like, I think that, and I think that if I was dying, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm an ally. (laughs) And I think if I was dying and the person who was trying to kill me was like 
talking in a way that I don't feel is like kind or like politically correct, I would probably at that point ignore it. <laughs> I have other stuff going on in this in this scene. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's like a heartwarming in the sense of what the author's scope is, right? So like no. what what she's viewing as being a good ally is just like not tolerating every once in a while. And that makes me want to give it even less credit. <laughs> exactly. Even less credit if we're bringing You're the right. author into it. That's, and that is the thing that J.K. Rowling does is she's like, I found an injustice, found one. And it's like, hey, man, you wrote this injustice. Like, you found it because you wrote it. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, elf slavery. And it's like, wouldn't it well, be terrible if elves were slaves? And it's like, hey, man, you invented elves. You're like, the one who... <laughs> yeah. This was your idea, bitch. Yeah. You know yeah. another one that I'm sure this has been talked about that I was thinking about, like, yesterday when I was reading Order of the Phoenix is, like, with Dobby, it's, like, slavery is an injustice for Dobby because we like Dobby. But then yep. with, with Creature... We don't like it's him. it's positioned as like well if, yeah we're fine with creature being a slave because we hate creature he sucks whereas with he Dobby sucks. like don't you think that's so funny the way she positions that well I think I think that like the exact language they first of all they can't release creature because he knows too much but then I think they also say something about like he wouldn't know what to do if we did Ooh. yeah right that's that like essentialism that people are talking about why we use person first language when you talk about like in like enslaved people rather than like slaves if we're getting really into it because it's like they are not inherently enslaved (laughs) okay someone is doing this to them and right now that person is harry fucking potter (laughs) is enslaving creature just saying Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like, we have talked about this so much in this podcast in general, but, like, her having this type of, I guess, like you're saying, like, non-essential, what is it, what do you say, non-essentialism? What? Or performative. um, Person-first language. Yeah, instead of doing that type of thing, like, it, it, with her not, with her not making it a universal thing, that's very loudly making the stance that like what you're saying isn't actually as important as what's happening to a different race of creatures. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just really not good. And it's like actually insane to me how, uh, how she doesn't, she? <laughs> how, how she's not aware. I'm going to reel us in because there's actually no house subs in this chapter, even though it's a great subject. Oh to yeah. Talk how about we get yeah. all time? <laughs> So Dumbledore, ever the teacher, is like, hey, Draco, let's talk through your options. Do you want to consider abortion, my dude? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but Malfoy's like, I don't have any option. I have to kill you or Voldemort's going to kill my family. And Dumbledore, as we mentioned before, is like, I can protect you. I can protect your family. And we start. I, I, I didn't write it down in my notes, but there's some line, I think, it's like something about his wand wavering or something. You you almost think that he's about to be like, are you sure? Like you can really protect them. Okay. Then uh, mm. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. I mean, but do you think he, he would never, I don't think so because there's okay. such a conflict of pride here. Like he doesn't want to kill Dumbledore, but he does want, because of the fear, he wants Voldemort and his parents to respect him. Right. And yeah. in his mind, okay, if I kill Dumbledore, everyone will think I'm great. <laughs> Whereas, like, I think obviously 
Dumbledore, I think his goal here is just to keep uh, Malfoy talking till Snape gets there. I think that so, that's what he's trying to do. Well, I was actually about to ask you the opposite because I think we've established that Draco could not have found the strength to kill Dumbledore, but we've also established that you just said, Mike, he Dumbledore, Draco's not going over to the good side. No. So mm-hmm. is Draco also kind of just like delaying until something else happens that gets him out of this situation? You know what I mean? Yeah, or, you or could maybe, say that. Maybe trying to goad Dumbledore to attack him so he has like a reason to kill him or something. Yes, because I, I, that, that's right. Like he doesn't want to do it, but if Dumbledore forces him to, then he, I think he can justify in his own mind, well, I just did it because he was gonna. He was attacking me. I know, and we all know Dumbledore just would never have. Yeah. Yeah. I think even if he wasn't planning his own death about to die, I think he still would never, ever, ever have been able to be goaded into like attacking a student. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, yeah. But you know what? Not everybody knows Dumbledore as well as you know Mr. Golden Boy. So. Mm. You know, when's has, when has Dumbledore ever, like, offered to just have, like, a one-on-one with Draco? Like, you, that's a to great our point. knowledge, never. Like, so yeah. he, he just doesn't really know him as well, I think. I wonder what you think. How do you think this scene would have been different for Draco if Harry had not been invisible? If Harry was, like, oh. obviously there? Because Draco doesn't know Harry's here. How would it have changed the scene for him? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like he actually would have been more scared if he could see Harry there, like, stunned on the ground. Because I think, if anything, this is the bravest he would be because it's just him and Dumbledore. Whereas, like, if Harry was there, I actually think he'd be like, oh, no, someone's going to even see me do this. Like, Yeah, and also no. Harry's a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, th- I think he would go, like, full, like, Oh my god, what was it? Shrek 3. Like when the Disney princesses <laughs> all do like the the Led Zeppelin song and yes. then just like attack. <laughs> Fucking slaughter everyone. How do we think the scene would have gone if Harry wasn't invisible and wasn't paralyzed? Uh, well, like oh, that. It's so interesting to think like, cause I think Harry would get up in Malfoy's face. Yes. Dumbledore would, I guess Dumbledore would try and like, it's hard to imagine because I can't see a, a time in which Dumbledore would allow that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, cause I feel yeah. like Dumbledore would just try and separate Harry from Malfoy straight away. Yeah. I almost wonder if like, okay, so Harry's not invisible. He's part of this scene. He he knowingly now hits Malfoy with Sectumsempra and Malfoy like goes down again and is like bleeding from mm. multiple, multiple lacerations. And like maybe the Death Eaters come in and like Dumbledore still dies because he's like hurt Draco or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, Snape is on his way at this point. Like, yeah, we, we have to assume at this point that Snape's seen the dark mark because Harry never got the message to Snape. So we can only assume right. that Snape's seen the dark mark and has gone, okay, I'm, I've got to go there. Or I've always wondered because he's supposed to be like the best legilimens in all the land. Like, can yeah. he, 
did he just wake up because something was afoot? You know what mm. I mean? Or did Bellatrix or Fenrir go get him and say, hey, we're up there with, with Dumbledore. It's time. Could Yeah, we don't really know. Well, and, you know, we're led to believe that Snape is Voldemort's, like, secondhand man, kind of. So mm. maybe he he knew all of this was happening already. You know what I mean? Or, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Snape was, like, notified while Dumbledore was out. He got a notification from his boss, Voldemort, that was like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm sending people. And Snape's like, oh, fuck, Dumbledore's way too far away to do anything about this. Okay, I guess I'll be ready to kill him. Or maybe Dumbledore also has the magic coins and he has one with Snape. <laughs> and he's just That's in his pocket going think. like... Yeah, so Malfoy, yeah, um, what are you, yeah, you going to kill me? And he's just looking in his pocket trying to get this oh coin God. to ring Snape. It's like when you're trying to talk to someone and they keep looking at their phone and you're yeah. like, can you please just engage in this conversation with me? That's so funny. Well, because otherwise, what kind of instant communication messaging do they have? Nothing. Mm. I mean, owls. Mental. They both have, like, excellent, like, mental magic powers, which is something yeah. that we don't get to explore at all. Yeah. But it had to have been a big part of their relationship. It just had to have been. Mm. Yeah. I think it's so cool. I think it's so cool how many what ifs and like I don't knows we've brought up so far in this chapter. Yeah. Like, I think that's what makes the character of Dumbledore so interesting is like we never fully know. Mm. Ever, yeah, even sure. kind of after he explains himself. it's No, he does get to explain himself. But, like, for the whole rest of the, like, next book, the rest of this book and the next book, none of us are sure. I think they're, as the readers, like, we're not sure about Snape. We're not sure about Dumbledore. We're not sure about anything anymore. <laughs> mm. Yeah, And that is very scary, especially for a it's kid. Scary. It's scary for a kid, yeah. I mean, I think this was definitely one of my first great literary deaths, if not the first. Mm. I would agree. All right, let's get to it. We're barreling towards it. (laughs) So Dumbledore offers to protect Malfoy and his family. But before Malfoy can really answer, the Death Eaters come up. We get to meet Amicus and Electo. Shout out to the Percy Jackson fandom because there's a character named Electo, um, which is probably where I'm sure J.K. Rowling got the name from. Um, And also (laughs) Fenrir Greyback is there. I don't think we've met him before correct me if i'm wrong i think this is the first time we're no, seeing him we've definitely been heard mentioned. about him yeah, yeah we've he's been mentioned lupin. yeah lupin has been underground with the werewolves so that's how we've been hearing about grayback i think yeah i can't remember what he said but dumbledore responds with no no these are manners also do you remember that like i think someone says something like oh what are you what are you doing dumbledore I can't remember what they say, but Dumbledore is no. These are manners, Mister. <laughs> it's really it it's it's like the first like sassy thing he kind of says. Yeah. Um, um. Alongside the one I mentioned before, where he's oh, like, yeah. "No, I'm I'm actually not happy to see you, Fenrir." To be perfectly <laughs> honest, I love that. Dumbledore has this way, like it's like so. Harry's sassy. We love to see sassy Harry. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore is sassy in the way that a grandpa is sassy. Like, it's very <laughs> fun. It's so polite. It's, like, so British. I'm thinking about when he comes to collect Harry from the Dursleys at the beginning of this book. And he, and he like, knocks on the door. 
And then he's like, let's assume you've invited me inside. <laughs> yeah. Let's assume you've invited me to sit down on your couch. Because I'm sure that's what you were meaning to do. Like, it's so <laughs> passive aggressive. And like, are you happy to see me? And he's just like, no. And it's almost like not offensive. Because it's like, he does it so politely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still <laughs> polite. Not yeah. really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> And so the Death Eaters start pumping up Malfoy to kill Dumbledore. And so, like, the tension is escalating. Like at, It's literally at like turn. a high school, like, do it, do it, <laughs> yeah. do it. And Malfoy's like, no. Hit me. <laughs> so Snape comes in. Dumbledore says, Severus, Severus, please. Mm. Do we think this is a code word or do you think they're communicating mentally or do you think that Snape already knew when he came up to the tower that this is what he was going to be doing tonight? Yeah. So I'd love to put my like analysis of this across. So, and yes. again, as I already said is th those words, Severus, please were the point of so much debate when this book came out. Why did he say Severus, please? And I guess you as the reader at this point in time, mm -hmm. knowing mm. what you know at this point in time, you're supposed to believe that Dumbledore is begging for his life. That's yeah, what he's like, he's like, please, this is the moment to show your true colors as like my ally. Yeah. Like Severus, please. Like, what are you? And, and it's almost like Dumbledore's doing, what are you doing? Like you're on, yeah. you're on my side, man. Come on. Now, what I think your how I read them, knowing what you know at the end of the series, is that Dumbledore is sensing hesitation from Snape, knows yeah. that Snape doesn't really want to do this, because why would you? He's still begging, but he's he, begging yes. for something else. Yes, mm. and he, yeah, he's essentially saying, Severus, like, I know you don't want to do this, but p please do please. this because it's the only way. And then Snape hears that and and kills him. Um, that That's how I think, that's what I think it is, but I think it's a beautiful piece of writing or dialogue or, uh, well, it's not really dialogue, but it's a beautiful quote that has, yeah. you know, there's two words there, but you can just, there's so many different ways you can take it. And yeah, yeah I think I, I love, I'll never forget those words, Severus, please, reading them for the first time because, yeah. And like, I just, I think that until until the very moment that Snape says Avada Kedavra, I think you as the reader are almost like completely sure that they're going to get out of this one. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. And it, it is like a fucking brick to the face. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. And the alternative is that I guess... <laughs> Like maybe what you think is going to happen is Snape is going to turn around and stun all the Death Eaters and stun Malfoy and grab yeah. Dumbledore and get him out of there. Yeah, And exactly. it's like, oh, Snape was good the whole time. But it like adds this extra layer of like, oh, Snape just killed him. And Fuck. it's not, it's, it's not till Fuck. much later that you find out like it was all planned. And I think they actually in the movie added a scene because the movie came out after the last book was out. And I right. think there's a scene in the movie that's not in the book where Harry walks in on Dumbledore and Snape having a conversation and you can hear Snape saying, oh, has yeah. it ever occurred to your brilliant mind that I don't want to do this? And Snape oh and Dumbledore God. says, 
I, yeah, but you made a promise, Severus, so I expect you to keep it. And and I think that's, yeah, I think that's why to me it's, yeah, Dumbledore is looking at Snape going, I know you don't want to do this, but. You, you have to, dude. Well, part of me wonders if Snape even at some point sees Dumbledore as maybe not a mentor, but like as a confiding figure and someone that he does sort of trust at least in some way. And like, you obviously don't want to kill, like Snape's not a, Snape's not a killer at the end of the day. Like he's a fucked up dude, but he's not a killer, but he's forced into killing. And the other thing is Dumbledore knows like, he's like, Snape, you need to do it. And they, they need to see it. You know, like, you have to do it right now. This is the only chance because one of these other two fuckers is going to kill me. Oh, my God. It's, like, it's really upsetting. Like, I, I am I'm genuinely feeling very emotional right now. Like, it's, there's mm. a lot. It, there's a lot going on right here. And, like, Snape is such a fascinating character. And I think that the, I think that this is the best moment for his character is his Mm. he he his devotion to Dumbledore goes so deep that he will kill him in order to go so deeply undercover that it feels almost completely irredeemable yeah and he knows like he knows that everyone is gonna see this and it's gonna spread and everyone's gonna know Snape killed Dumbledore and his name is gonna be tarnished in a way we're like yeah, at this point, it's like, oh, we hate Snape. He's such a shit, mean teacher. But like that, that there's a big step from that to Snape's a Absolute fucking murderer. murderer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So here's the thing: out of all the people who will hate Snape for killing Dumbledore, I don't think Snape cares about a single one of them except for Minerva McGonagall. I yes. think she is she is the only person who I think genuinely trusts Snape because of their relationship with Dumbledore as his like second and third in command. I think that Snape and McGonagall must have a relationship that we don't see in the books. And I think that in this moment, the only person he's thinking of is like, fuck Minerva is going to be so fucking mad at me after this. <laughs> I am. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I always think about that. Like I think Snape really respects McGonagall. And and I yes. would extend that to not as much as McGonagall, but I also think Flitwick and um, uh, Sprout. Sprout as well. Mm-hmm. I think those other senior teachers of the school that right. he respects <laughs> and they like respect him and trust him. I think yeah. he is like, oh fuck, like now all my colleagues are going to think I'm a fucking murderer, which I am, but for the right reasons. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, how do you explain that to them? But yeah. I I'm do like a think, nice, I'm not like other murderers. I'm a cool murderer. <laughs> and I always think of how awkward it must be when he comes back in the next book as the headmaster. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, hey, McGonagall, how, how was your summer? Oh, it was shit, Severus. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that sucks. How was Dumbledore's funeral? I obviously couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> But it yeah, it's very uh, awkward. Yeah, <laughs> like, nothing else. It's fucking. Hey guys, awkward. yeah, I'm gonna be the headmaster <laughs> now. You might have heard some rumors about me and um, Dumbledore. They're true. But, uh, yeah, they are true. But you will find out for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs>
There's no way. Like, there's just no way he's... <laughs> Deadly Hallows is hell for Harry and Hermione, but it was also probably really, really a hard year for Snape. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, okay, so actually, guys, we're in the middle of killing Dumbledore right now. <laughs> Dumbledore says, Severus, please. Snape says, Avada Kedavra. Only in the movies it's like, Avada Kedavra. I'm not very good at impressions. Avada Kedavra. Snape kills Dumbledore. <laughs> who falls over the ledge of the tower. And yeah. Harry just watches, still paralyzed, unable to... It was like a silent scream or like mm, whatever. Terrifying. That's a real nightmare. I mean... Like you're well, oh yeah, we already got into that, Tina. But just like you're, you, <laughs> <laughs> you're so scared and you can't scream for help. You're yeah. just like, <sighs> and such an undignified death for Dumbledore as well. Like because they obviously don't show it, but like if he fell from that height, I don't know how much of his body would actually be left. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he's perfectly preserved when Voldemort... Doesn't Voldemort break into his coffin and take the wand? But, like, I feel like if you fall from that height, your body just kind of... I don't know. Doesn't stay solid. I I think it would splat. Are you saying it would splat? Because I That's, think it would yeah, splat. Yeah, I just didn't <laughs> yeah. know if I wanted to say splat because it's such a <laughs> gross sound. <laughs> But yeah. I mean, I think when they see it in the next chapter, it's like mangled. Like, is Ugh. is it mangled? Because I feel like I remember. I'll look ahead in my notes. I feel like I remember it being like not mangled. Yeah, I, I th- think it's I feel not. Like I remember it being like fine. Unless Madame Pomfrey came out really quickly and just fixed up mm-hmm. all the <laughs> bones to make him look presentable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think there's no way that he would he would land that without having. Limbs at alarming angles and stuff like yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I put something in my notes. I don't remember when I put this in my notes, but um, it's something that our dear friend and listener, uh, Mots put in the Discord in February. And I, like, don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what. What did I even, like, ask? I must have, like, asked something. But whatever. In the Discord, Mots said... Dumbledore does whatever the fuck he wants to, whenever he wants to, including dying. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's a great quote in this moment because this is part of Dumbledore's master plan. And that's something that we get to know now going through it for the Mm. bajillionth time. Can we also say that like Dumbledore's, acceptance of death in this moment, which is kind of a key theme of the book Mm -hmm. is that like we all die and no one is above death. And I think, yeah, Dumbledore just kind of going like, I need to die. Like I'm ready. Yeah. And being ready or at least gracefully accepting. Cause I guess we, Dumbledore is so calm, cool and collected in this moment, but he must've felt, at least some level of fear and panic that his life was about to end. And I think, you know, we don't really think of him feeling those things, but he definitely would have. That's really interesting because Mm. I think that no matter how calm, cool and confident you are, there's no way 
to be completely sure about what your body's going to do in a moment like that. And especially if he knew that Snape was racing toward him, like ready to die. It's actually incredibly impressive that he was able to like keep up this conversation with Draco. He's Mm. like the most like lucid person in this whole scene, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, and maybe that's the point (laughs) is that like death has sharpened like the, the near, the closeness of death has like sharpened his focus or something, Mm. you know? Yeah. Damn. It would be funny if after he fell from the tower, he came back as a ghost. I was like, Snape did it. Get him. He's over there. (laughs) (laughs) Just throws the whole spanner in the works. (laughs) Snape's like, but you said you wouldn't. You said I had to kill you. No, I didn't. I would never say that. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing was just to set Snape up. (laughs) Oh, my God. But like. J.K. Rowling would never have done that because she kind of like when Sirius died in the last book and Harry went and chased down nearly headless Nick and was like, is there a chance that Sirius is going to come back as a ghost? And Nick basically is like, it's a move of like total cowardice to come back as a ghost. Mm. Like Dumbledore could never because like he's better than Voldemort because he embraces death, baby. (laughs) Walk straight into death. Can I make a quick comment on that as well, which is where Nick... Doesn't Nick say that when you die, you get to make a choice between like passing on or coming back as a ghost, right? Yeah, I think he implies that much at least. For some reason, I always picture it in my head as like when you die in a video game and it's like continue or like new game. (laughs) It's like, so when you die, the afterlife is just a screen where it's like, Pass on, become ghost. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll become ghost. And then you're just like, oh, now I'm a ghost. I don't know why I always think of it like that. That's very funny. (laughs) Well, fuck y'all. Okay, so I know that we've been, like, laughing on my hilarious podcast. But, like, Mike, after reading this chapter, like, how do you feel? I... Oh God. Do you mean reading it this time or like for the first time I read it or just, I don't know. Maybe both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. I mean, reading it now, you, you never, you you know what's coming and you're almost bracing for it. Um, I think it's just, it is just such a beautiful, a beautifully dark chapter. It's, it's given so much more meaning in what you know since this book came out and what you find out later. Like, again, like analyzing what Dumbledore says, analyzing what Snape's thinking. And I think, I I do think stuff like that is the beauty of this book series is like Mm -hmm. the meaning you see in things once you know all the information. So yeah, yeah, love this chapter so much. Yeah. Leela, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling this time like very excited to continue and just see how it ends because I have I have not reread the these two books like those these last two books like as an adult until this time and I kind of like I mean I know you guys just like said everything that happens but like I also just like don't remember um, so I'm just like excited <laughs> just. Hell yeah. I was excited. Yeah. As a kid, I was, um, I think I was like crying and I probably like had to stop reading a couple times because I was so blurry and Mm. was like, obviously I was like, I'm, but still, yeah, I must read on. 
Like, I must know. Because maybe he's, like, it's Dumbies. Like, maybe he's not dead. Like Exactly. Yeah, you never know. And that's why I think, like, the funeral chapter is, like, so hard. Because Uh, there's this finality to it. It's like, oh, there's not, this is the rest of the book. Like, we're not going to have a comeback from this. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Tina? I'm feeling sad. Like, I think, you know, I've had, I've had six seasons of this podcast to make my critiques about Dumbledore and I feel like they're well established but that doesn't change the fact that he's a person and he's a person who was I think like for the most part always trying to like do what was best for everyone not to pull a greater good situation but like I think that it's really hard because you kind of like conflate the memory of how this made me feel and like how it makes me feel now. You know what I mean? And like at the time this was absolutely crushing Mm. and I, I don't remember. I wish I remembered how I felt in between these two books because like there was Mm. like a couple years in between these two books and like what a horrible way to leave this book off. Like how could a fucking 15 year old feel safe in the world (laughs) Mm. after reading this and then not having the sequel yet. So like I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lost. I feel sad for everyone in this scene. I feel sad for Dumbledore. I feel sad for Draco. I feel sad for Snape. Like, this is really, I think the whole rest of this series, J.K. Rowling has been like, well, the bad guys are bad because they're evil. And like, that's totally the Voldemort model. But I think that when you get into like, Snape and Draco are two of the most nuanced villains. Period. They're extremely nuanced. Mm. And like, Mm. this scene is just, Really tragic for everyone. Yeah. I'm feeling sad. <laughs> I have to laugh after that to make it hilarious on my comedy <laughs> podcast. You know what? Like, I was thinking for last thoughts was more like, I was thinking of your, like, alternate ending, uh, Radio Michael. Um, <laughs> when, um, <laughs> when uh, I was like, what if Snape just, like, rescued him and, like, I'm just picturing him like full on like firefighter carrying Dumbledore. Superhero slow Snape. motion. Snape rips off his cloak. Whitney Houston starts playing. And I will yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I would have loved that, but it would not Unfortunately. make for as good of a book series, I must admit. No. As kids, I think that's something like that was what we were hoping that's what, for, though. It's like, that's what we got to yeah. do here, Snape, to get us out of this one alive. Joke's on us. We do not get out of this one alive. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any last thoughts about the chapter, Mike, before we wrap this one up? Uh, my last thoughts are, spoiler alert, Snape kills Dumbledore. That's, uh, that's what I'll leave oh you with. You, oh <laughs> you asshole. Leela, any last words? No, that was the firefighter thing was my last words. Perfect. Let's go to plugs. Mike, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, you can basically just fi- just type in Radio Mike on Google and I either me will come up or various pictures of microphones will come up. But otherwise, just... <laughs> Follow me on Insta at Radio.Mike, YouTube, Radio Mike. I do two podcasts, 20th Century Boy and Harry Potter and the Boys. Um, so check them out. Hell yeah. Thank you. What's something that you've been watching or reading or listening to or playing lately that you think our listeners would enjoy? 
Okay, I know I'm late to the party with this, but we've been watching uh, Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yeah. Have you guys seen that? Yes, I yeah. love yeah. that show. I'm a real Steve, uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short stan. Yeah, so yeah, Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez and it's like a comedy murder mystery. I really like it. I think Martin Short is so funny and so goofy. It's really yeah. good. So yeah, really <laughs> enjoying yeah. that. Such awesome. a classic goofball. Yeah, yeah, I love that one too. Lila, where can the people find you on the internet? Hey, you can find me at uh, on Instagram, uh, TikTok, at Leals for Reals. You can also find me on Burn Before Reading every Wednesday with our beautiful leader, Tina. Uh, today, I'd like to plug um, this book that I think a lot of people have read, which is called The Song of Achilles. Oh, oh yeah, that one's great. Uh, by Madeline Miller. Um, it's really, it, it's just like a really great epic kind of retelling of a Greek an uh, ancient Greek uh, mythology story. And I, I love that type of shit and um, very, it, very good. Very it, dramatic. It's, it's a really good read. It's gay. It's, it's so gay. gay, but yeah, we which is see it. just amazing. And um, there's like a really beautiful little index and like illustrations of characters in the back of my book that I love. I also love that type of shit. Like, cool. like Tolkien needed that. Like, you know what I mean? And um, I really enjoyed it. So I highly recommend it. Amazing. I've been your host, Christina. You know where to find me. And this week I'm going to plug the audiobook that I've been listening to. I almost have finished listening to it. And it is called Disfigured by Amanda LaDuke. And um, it, it it's about looking at fairy tales through the lens of disability. It's extremely oh. interesting if you're into Ooh. that kind of like socio science type shit um i'm really i'm really uh, finding it very insightful so so wait is it is, is it non-fiction like it's yes it's, a, it's like okay, so it's like it's, it's essays. an examination yep it's an examination Ooh. of fairy tales through the lens of disability so it's like talking about like how like a lot of villains have like physical um differences yes like okay scar yeah. from the lion king who is named after his Scar Disability. as an example, <laughs> which is a crazy thing to do to a person. So I highly recommend the book. Mike, thank you so much for joining us for this extremely depressing chapter. I, I feel like we had such wonderful conversations and I'm just so grateful to you. Oh, I love this pod so much. I can't wait to do another. I, I, you know, I'm going to say I would do two of Deathly Hallows if, you, yeah. if, if there's room for it. But um, There's room. Cool. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, guys. I love doing it. I can't wait to um to chat again. And I can't wait for when you guys come to Australia and we all hang out. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. Which is definitely soon. Definitely in the <laughs> next five years of my life. Yeah, great. And Leela, as always, thank you for being my wonderful co-host. It has more meaning now that we have another podcast together where it's we're actually co-hosts. <laughs> yeah. It's really it's really great. And I'm I'm just like excited. Uh, I've been a part of this journey for um couple years now and i'm really excited to finish her out and finish her out strong so leela um unless anyone uh cancels and i need like a desperate backup because you're one of my first desperate backups um the Mm -hmm. next time we'll see you is for half-blood prince group therapy yes and then we're gonna you're gonna be one of the um unlocked patreon bonus episodes that we're releasing in the break and then we'll see you again for possibly chapter one of uh the deathly hallows 
Harry was a very special boy. No, we don't do that anymore. That's chapter two. I know. That's chapter two. <laughs> You're right. Awesome. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, guys. I don't know how to end podcasts, so that's how I'm going to end it. <laughs> Until next time, read any book you like, even if it's in the restricted section. Bye. That's it, potheads. Thanks for listening to the restricted section. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Christina Kahn. Our theme music was produced by Ryan Kahn. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Please connect with us on Twitter at RestrictedPod, on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod, on Facebook at RestrictedSectionPod, or in our Facebook group, The Restricted Section Detention Crew. Join our Patreon to get access to our Discord server, our bonus episodes, and other cool perks. We're also very happy to be a member of Deus Ex Media, where all you fucking nerds can find all kinds of fandom podcasts to suit your fancy. Do you love to be super scared? Do you enjoy listening to hilarious hot takes on timeless classics? Well, fear not, listeners. I'm here! Welcome to the Super Scary Podcast, where we cover everything from the supernatural to the superpowered. I'm your host, Josh, a scaredy cat nerd who enjoys superhero sci-fi and horror movies way too much. Whether I'm processing my trauma from Texas Chainsaw Massacre or reminiscing on the nostalgia of Hocus Pocus, my guests and I have a hilarious time going through our favorite and sometimes not-so-favorite moments. I'm your friend till the end, listeners, because everyone's entitled to one super scary podcast. We post weekly episodes on Mondays, and you can find us at Super Scary Podcast on all the socials. See you in the afterlife, listeners. You know what? I've had to edit out a lot of really annoying things, and a lot of them are things that I do. Dave X Media.